Hey everybody, welcome to Literary Disco on Lit Hub Radio, episode 168, Murder Most Foul. Bob Dylan released something new during the pandemic, Murder Most Foul, a 17-minute long song that begins with uh, JFK's assassination. We will discuss the lyrics, Dylan in general, and Dylan's Nobel Prize in Literature. This is Literary Disco, the last book club you'll ever need. We're Todd, Julia, and Ryder, three old friends who love to read, debate, and sometimes even agree. I am actor and filmmaker Ryder Strong. Joining me, as always, are novelist and critic Todd Goldberg and essayist and radio personality Julia Pistel. Hi, guys. Hi. Nice to see you guys. Oh, boy. How's that quarantine feeling? We're in week four here. How about you guys? Yeah, so are we. Uh, today, so we're recording this, listeners, on um, April 7th. I haven't left my house since March 13th. Feeling pretty, pretty, pretty good about sometime leaving the house again. <laughs> we just got a, uh, we just got a notice that all the hotels in the Coachella Valley, where I live, a big resort town, all of those are going to remain closed until June 19th. Wow. So that doesn't make me think that I'll be leaving my house Anytime soon. But don't you think so? June 10th and ish. First of all, I have no idea why these dates are randomly being chosen. But I just said to Greg the other day, I was like, okay, three weeks. Like, if this is a 12 week experience, we're quarter the way. I feel like we could do it. Um, I'm feeling kind of like, yeah, it's in the groove. Good. Yeah, I am, I am too. I, I had a really bad weekend. I would say, like, this Saturday and Sunday was like when I finally broke, you know, yeah. mm. uh, but I came through it and I realized like, oh, yeah, you just you just keep surfing these different moods and, and anxieties and, mm. and feelings. And, you know, eventually you will feel positive again. It doesn't, you know, and, and sometimes the, I, like nothing's actually changed in my life because <laughs> it can't. So what did change except time, you know, and just keep you just right. keep riding those waves. Um, and routine, you know, routine begins to help. And I mean, of course, it's different for both of you because you have a child to consider. Um, and I know that that has to be an existential, intangible challenge on a sort of minute by minute basis. Um, but I, I had a bad. What day was it? Maybe Friday, I think, was a was a bad day for me. Um, and then this weekend, I felt a little bit better because I started to write well. Um you know, I sat down and I I turned off all the news and everything, and I just worked on my book that is due shortly. And um, turns out my mood improved greatly when I finished writing this story that had taken me six weeks to write. Awesome. Um, but I mean, it, there's no there's no there's no test for us. You know, like there's no we don't none of us have any experience with this. Um, I'm gonna actually talk to a friend of mine um, for the radio show I do here in Palm Springs. Um, Michael Scott Moore, he spent uh, almost three years in captivity. Um, he was captured by pirates, Somali pirates, and spent Jeez. three years in captivity with them. Wow. And uh, we're going to interview him on the radio show I do out here about, like, how do you, you know, stay sane for for a long time without real ideas of hope of when you're going to see reality again. So, you know what's been really interesting for me? And I don't think I've said this before, but stop me if I have. Um so in week around week one or two where I was really struggling, like crying a lot and sort of grappling with like the expectations that this time 
should be productive and things like that. A friend mm-hmm. of mine was like, this is for me, it feels exactly like postpartum. And oh. I was like, yes, that is it. And that that frame for anyone who's had a baby. And I don't know if it's the same on the dad end. Um, it is the same feeling almost exactly where you're like kind of trapped, but super privileged and (laughs) you feel your expectations are completely out of alignment with like what's actually happening and like you said todd like you have to go hour to hour like all right like how do i not only just take care of the people in my house but how do i just allow myself to free float through this weird fucking time with no sense of certainty about the future so it's, I don't know. That's I've true. Really There's another it. aspect too. I remember, like, w- when Indy was born, always having this constant sense of like, "Oh, well, I'm going to be doing this for the rest of my life." Yep. Like every time you did something <laughs> mundane, yeah. you know, like, "Oh, I, yeah. this is my first time changing a diaper. I guess I got to get used to this." And like, I remember that being very scary, you know, yeah. and like intimidating. And like everything you did, you were like, "Oh, this is what being a parent means." And I feel like I'm doing the same thing. Like, "Oh, this is what the rest of our life is going to look like. Yeah. This is what quarantine life is." And it's like. Mm-hmm. It's a little dramatic, you know, it's better to, yeah, like you say, just take it day by day and realize like time actually does change everything and you get used to shit that you yeah. didn't think you'd ever get used to. Like this morning yeah. I was like, I am killing it. I love life. Um, a rare feeling. So when it happens, you like jump on the wave and then <laughs> by nap time. You must have had good coffee. Oh, I did. I've been drinking so much coffee. Me too. Uh, um. <laughs> To the point where it's the most um, solid part of my daughter's daily life. Like, she opens her eyes and she's like, Mama, get coffee? And I was like, yeah, correct. Yes. yes. Um, <laughs> get out the big gulp cup. But by, by noon, by nap time, I was like, just unraveled. So, eh, the days are long. Days are very yeah. long. Um, something great that we did this weekend that I highly recommend to any parents out there, um, probably... It's probably not as helpful to you, Julia, because it's definitely for older kids. But um, we just said, fuck it, and had a no rules Saturday. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it made all of us so happy. Because yeah. it was just like, we were like, we were like, Indy, you can do whatever you want. Today is no rules. As long as you're not hurting anybody or getting on anybody's nerves, you know, bothering anybody. Those are the only things we will talk about. And, you know, the kid didn't really want to do much. He wanted to eat dessert in the middle of the day fine right. and then he wanted to watch tv as much as he wanted to fine fine like you know and then we all got to do whatever we wanted. i was yeah. like it's 3 p.m i'm gonna drink a beer right now because it's no rules <laughs> saturday and it just made all of us like in a better mood because it just yeah. felt like our, and so we might institute it every saturday like because it, just, it keeps the we, household like in this positive zone where we're like you know wait a minute we you know and what's amazing is like indy didn't even like we, we were terrified at, at bedtime he was gonna just say no i'm not gonna go to bed but he didn't even do it he was like all right can i and we're like oh okay <laughs> it's like you know the awareness of like what are rules and what are not rules was very flexible and sort of right. based on you know he's well five, and in some know. ways is it's like you got to give yourself the weekend the normal yes, weekend exactly. that you have like yes. where you might have a babysitter and then you guys are going to go out and go do whatever and then you know like you still need that even if you're alone at home together you know that right. that still has to happen yes i mean it, it, the nice thing though is um is hearing you guys talk about freaking out because of course 
when you're freaking out, you feel like you're the only person that's freaking out. (laughs) (laughs) And I haven't yet had a day where I've burst into tears. Well, that's not true. Uh, And I I think I mentioned this on the show. If I didn't, um, I meant to. But my my cousin died since during the midst of this quarantine. um, And we couldn't. We couldn't have a funeral for him, you know. We couldn't. We couldn't go up to Seattle where he lived and have a funeral. That was really hard, and it's still really hard. It's a thing that's you know weighing on my mind because Jews, we you know, you're buried in three days. That's that's how it is. Um, and so he was still buried, but we didn't get to have the ceremony. And I mean, it's not like he's going to come back to life, and and then and then we'll have the funeral later. I mean, like I know the dead is dead, but. You want the ceremony to, to conclude the morning, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so without those things, like, it, you feel like um, you feel like you're the only person on the planet that's feeling that. But of course that's not true. There's thousands of people that are feeling that same exact thing at the same exact time. Well, and, and then this, this experience you've just had is, like, in particular, going to be a lot of people's experience as, as, yeah. COVID, as COVID starts killing off. You know, it could, because no one's going to be able to see anybody when that happens. It's yeah, that's going to be a very typical experience. The the lack of a funeral, it's awful. If only though there were something meditative that we could listen to that could make you yeah. want to die instead of live. <laughs> oh, I guess that's the segue to our our topic today. <laughs> Which I don't think we should put onto our episode because otherwise it would be the length of an entire episode. Oh my god! So we'll just put a link for our listeners to go find this song. Um, so you hate it, Todd? You actually hate the song? Nah. Well, I don't know if I hate. Okay, so here's the deal, folks. Uh, Bob Dylan released a 17-minute song called "Murder Most Foul," and he released it, which is a line from um, Macbeth, right? Is yeah. there, or is it no, Hamlet? Hamlet. Yeah. Hamlet. Hamlet. Um, he released it. I want to say the first or second week of the uh, of the quarantine. Essentially, um, it's a 17 minute long song that um, is ostensibly at first about the Kennedy assassination, and then it becomes basically an American Pie style rundown of the last 60 years of American history, and then. For the last, and, and so that takes you to about seven minutes. And then <laughs> the next ten minutes, <laughs> um, it circles back onto itself. And then at some point, uh, for about four minutes, it's just um, Bob Dylan saying play and then picking particular songs or artists to play. It's a, uh, it's a grand tour of American music. Yeah, it's a it's a very uh, like play Merchant of Venice, play Merchant yeah, of Death, exhaustive play Stella list by of Starlight by Lady Macbeth. Yeah, it's it's yeah. pretty. Yeah, it's a thing. I would say I would say okay, like I got maybe a tenth of the references. Oh yeah. Got- so if you've listened to "It's the End of the World as I Know It" or "We Didn't Start the Fire" and we're like, I don't know what they're talking about. This is not the song for you. <laughs> <laughs> It is every it's uh, it's every cultural reference essentially for the last sixty years of music in American culture, mm-hmm. um, and some are pretty obscure. A lot of it is obscure musical culture, um, but it also like that he dropped it 
he dropped it like he's like he's Drake. <laughs> yeah. it. Well, it is his first. It is his first release since 2012. Yeah, the man has not released a song um, and has won the Nobel Prize in Literature right. in the meantime. So there's a little little pressure and a little expectation. And I was yeah. I mean, it was interesting, Todd, when you sent that link to us because uh, it was your idea to to pick this. I, mm-hmm. I, I had heard rumblings about a song, but hadn't, hadn't listened to it until you suggested we do an episode about it. And, um, and then I started like, yeah, the link that you sent was a Rolling Stones article about it. And I just, I, I, I feel like there have been, there really are two camps right now. <laughs> right. Like, yeah. If, people are like, camp, this is a masterpiece we've needed. This yeah. is this, the anthem of the pandemic that we all have, you know, been wanting and Dylan's back on top. And then the other half is like, what the, what, this is the most inane, um, <laughs> yeah, you know we, it what, is, uh, it is just thoughts, like we Julia? did start the fire. What did you think? <sighs> are you a, you're not a Dylan fan, are you, Julia? I can't I imagine mean, you are. I like him. I, I mean, I'm not against him. I like when his music is playing in my house, but I'll tell you what I'm not in the mood for is a Da Vinci Code style deciphering of '60s culture <laughs> during the pandemic. I don't care, like. <laughs> I, <laughs> I'm not going to go unravel every reference in here. Um, I'm, I'm struggling to see the historical line draw- that he's drawing here or is happens to be drawing by releasing it now. I mean, he did say that he recorded it before and he's like, here's something. So maybe this is more in the realm of like ooh, everybody's putting online content out there i gotta do something um and even bob dylan is feeling the pressure um right but yeah i just this is just not the mood i'm in this is not the mood i'm in see that's and- funny i i actually really appreciate the mood of the the song like the the tone like the actual sound quality and like um I, you know, I put it on while I was hanging out with my son the other day, actually, and it was just kind of like this weird because it, it 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 was it was like rumbling in the background while I was hanging out with my son. In the same way, I feel like the pandemic is rumbling in the background of our lives right now. This mm-hmm. sort of like weirdly atmospheric, like not it's not in your face right now. It's just kind of back there, and it feels like something important is going on. And it's really gonna explode at any minute, but it never does. It just kind of ugh. like that's yeah. that. It's like capturing the mood of the moment for me right now, perfectly. Uh, lyrically, I just I think I think it's so inane. I mean, I hate. I mean, I love Dylan, for, so I have to state that. Like, I am a huge Dylan fan, but I really think that like you know. That th- this is just rambling. This is just rhyme, like good rhyming, and like it, like it's like we didn't start the fire. It's just these these right. things. It's like it's just the nostalgia thing where you're like, oh, I know that. Oh yeah, I, I've heard of that one before. It's it's not American Pie. American Pie is actually pretty good. Like American Pie actually has a point. Um, if if you really break American Pie down, it's it's you know it's really de- depressingly conservative. It's all about how. Are you playing the song? Okay. <laughs> Is this just to shut me up? <laughs> I just thought you wanted to re-experience what it was like to have it playing in the background of your life. <laughs> I feel like the only thing I feel like the only thing that he's really reaching for in any sort of bit, you know, because he said he says something about it being fifty-five years since the assassination. So, you know, you mm. figure he wrote this a year or two ago. And 
Um, and I think he released it now because there is this sort of like, you know, it's hard for me to identify with because I've always like rolled my eyes at the JFK worship and like the JFK assassination moment being such a, but it's, you know, it's because I wasn't born yet. It was always right. such deep past, but I, I can imagine for, you know, his generation for the baby boomers, that was the last time, or that was the first time that their world sort of ripped open. You know, a lot of them, right. a lot of white Americans like that was the first time that like oh this this kind of thing could happen here and similarly we are we have experienced a lot of those moments since uh, but I feel like this one is one of the biggest and so hearing hit like hearing the person that sort of became the voice of his generation making some sort of you know big overarching connection like to that moment when the president was shot and they were all sort of violated as, as, uh, as safe Americans. And like this moment and seeing this connection between like the political machinations and the cultural things that have happened, you know, like I can see that, like I can feel that, but I don't think the song really does that very well. Like I, yeah, I, I like I, that idea, but right. it doesn't. I think, sure. I agree. I think as a piece of poetry, it's just bad beat poetry to be, right. you know, to be perfectly yeah. honest with you. So, the reason we were talking about this, we don't normally talk about songwriting, is is that Dylan got the Nobel Prize in Literature a few years ago. And in fact, I saw him in concert the next day. So he wow. had played he he got the Nobel Prize and then he played at Desert Trip, which was the uh, the Coachella for old people that they did one year out here. And it was Bob <laughs> Dylan, the Rolling Stones, Paul McCartney, Neil Young, The Who, and Roger Waters over the course of uh Jesus. three nights. It was it, by the way, it was fucking remarkable. It was a, it was great, um, except for the Who. I don't like the Who, but anyway. Um, but he won the Nobel Prize, and in, he did not say a word from the stage. He played for an hour and a half, didn't speak, and then left. <laughs> that was you it. You know, that's fine, as is his right. Yeah, yeah, for sure, absolutely. But yeah, I mean, he could have said, "Hey, you want to get the Nobel Prize?" You know, something like that. Um, but still reading, just reading it as as poetry, as literature, it, I mean, the day they blew out the brains of the king, thousands were, thousands were watching, no one saw a thing. It happened so quickly, so quick by surprise, right there in front of everyone's eyes. Uh, yeah. oh. No. No, I know. I, I, you know it, yeah. <laughs> it's fine. Like, I, I totally, it's, you know, but the thing with, with Dylan is that he just he carries so much cultural weight at this point and there's just so many people like salivating over everything the man does and everything the man writes and and you know I'm always of two minds like when the whole Nobel Prize thing happened I was really like on one hand I totally I do think that that he represents he what he brought to songwriting was a seismic shift. Like yeah, for sure. Him arriving on the scene was like fucking you know it was like Shakespeare. It's just that somebody pops up once in a you know once every couple hundred years that like revolutionizes a form, and he revolutionized me like songwriting, American songwriting, and made it what it is has become and what we all sort of expect. Um, and he is brilliant at it. But is that thing the same as literature? You know, like that was the right. big question that was sort of floating around. Like, is that, you know, and 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 like I've sent you guys a couple of articles about the um, his Nobel P, his Nobel Prize acceptance speech, because it was very bizarre. I don't know if you guys actually read right. the acceptance yeah. speech, but like it was really bizarre. Um, this sort of like 
you know, report, like, school report on Moby Dick and All Quiet on the Western Front. And, like, I don't know. Like, the more, I feel like the more Dylan has to sort of analyze his own work or talk about his own stuff in public, the more it falls apart. Because it's like, <laughs> well, it's like he's a, he's a musician, first and foremost. Right. You know, like, he is yeah. a lyricist and he is a songwriter. And that is a gift. Like that is the thing. And what, you know, when you write great songs like Mr. Tambourine Man or whatever, like being sort of, uh, yeah, you're, you're, you you know, you, you don't have to be like a great storyteller. You don't have to be a great essayist, right? You're just a great songwriter. Like you just have this thing. And like, you know, to hear his, to read his speech or hear it, the, the Nobel speech, it was like, Oh, right. Like, I don't want to hear you actually talking about literature. (laughs) You're not, you know, you're not the person. You're not, you don't have the analytical mind. You just have the songwriting mind. Like, you know, just play your music, just do your thing. And, and he does for the most part, like he tries to, you know, but it's just interesting. Like that divide is, is it's interesting. It's hard. Like, I I don't know. I go, I I just, like I said, I'm of two minds. But but here's the more important thing. No song needs to be 17 minutes long. No song. It doesn't matter if it's the greatest song that's ever been written. It doesn't need to be 17 minutes long. See, I long. totally disagree with that. Yeah, like, I, I disagree too. I, I love I don't, I don't need to listen to one song for 17 minutes. The, oh, let me, all right, let me add a caveat. You can have a song that's 17 minutes long, but it can't be the same fucking two chords for all 17 minutes, which is what Bob Dylan's song is. I totally disagree. Like one of my favorite, one of the best lyrics ever. If people are looking for good good lyrics, is uh, Josh Ritter's "Thin Blue Flame." I think it only has two chords, maybe three, and it is one of like you listen to that. Yeah, but and he it's progresses like, it will, them. Like oh, but it's like seven eight minutes long. Just yeah, just great. So, seven, the same eight thing. Minutes. It's that's fine. It's not seventeen. I began to disassociate in the middle of the Bob Dylan song. I went yeah, out. But- there was a pandemic. I came back inside. The song was still playing. <laughs> but here's the thing. Like, that's just so arbitrary. You're so conditioned, Todd. Maybe we'll get to this in our next episode we're about to record. <laughs> I, You know, like, breaking the form is cool. Stretching the form is cool. Um, so maybe that sense, as Ryder was saying, of like, being lulled into something in this huge list um, has meaning and poignancy for a lot of people that only 17 minutes can achieve. Maybe it should have been 45 minutes. Well, okay. So Donna Summer used to put out 17-minute, 20-minute versions of her songs in the 1970s for disco. And it was great because people were really super high on cocaine and dancing the entire time while she said, I feel love over and over again for 25 minutes. Yeah. And so I mean, people at people at fish concerts listen to how many minute long songs. Just yeah, because like, they're they're super high. They're super high. <laughs> no, but it's I also just that is just bed. the jammy the jam bandy sort of vibe. Like and, and Dylan's version of that is gonna be lyric based. It's gonna be poetry. It's gonna be mm. rambling. Like I no, I, 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 I love strong that. and it's Will for Dell. Walking here to the land of hell. Ooh, <laughs> boom! <laughs> yeah, Keep going. I mean, Ten seconds down. Yeah. Is Julia Pastel the Lego queen? Raising a child, if you know what I mean. <laughs> and go all day. That's yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and and that's me, all the same meaning. None. 
So that's that was part of my reaction too. Is like I've done a lot of musical improvising in my improv life, and Dylan is one that you can very easily impress people by just doing exactly what Todd did. Whereas other songwriters and other musicians, it's actually extremely hard to just riff um, the way they would. Now, that's not an argument for or against quality, but it is definitely it's it it gives me that feeling like ah, come on, try hard. I should have used a stanza from this in that that game that we do, rock paper scissors. <laughs> where oh I would yeah, pick old Dylan lyrics, new Dylan lyrics, and lyrics I create on my own, and you'd have to pick which one's which. <laughs> What's new, pussycat? What did I say? I said the soul of the nation been torn away. Walking down the street, flicking my thumb. Everything's cool. Everything's numb. I, I made up that last part. <laughs> that last part was me. Wow. You know, the majority of our listeners, by the way, have no idea who Bob Dylan is. Yes, they do. <laughs> how do you, how do you do? All right. Well, here's here's my, my pitch on the, the Nobel Prize in Literature thing. Okay. So I think... The, like, because the argument why it was such a, a, a like a misstep or a travesty was is that you know it he doesn't write literature he writes song lyrics and that you you read you don't read those independently you will always experience them through the song so right. it's it's it seemed a little like ridiculous and I I kind of get that but I also do think that what he does is very literate right like sure. it involves illusions and it has incredible talent and like. It, you know, okay, but so why isn't there? What like eventually won't there be whole like academic uh, disciplines dedicated just to lyrics? Like why isn't there a separate category? Like so there's literature, there's the music, but then like there should be like like lyric studies. Yeah, I'm sure there is. I mean, and you know, remember Kendrick Lamar won the Pulitzer uh, two years ago, not in literature. He won it in in music. Um, so there is a shift, obviously, toward, uh, toward these, oh, there's a large cat walking across Julia's head. Um, <laughs> so there is, there is a recognition of modern era, um, music, popular music as being a form of higher art, and I, which I think is obviously true. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the Nobel Prize doesn't have, um... Well, the Nobel Prize has never been um, easily confined. You know, it's it's given out by different people all the time. So their tastes and their desires shift. And you remember, like a couple years ago, they didn't give out any award in literature. Um, right. So it's also a political award on top of everything else. So, I mean, the, the Nobel Prize in literature has, has very little meaning to any of us on a day-to-day basis, except when it's controversial, right? Like, do you know who won the Nobel Prize last year? No, I don't. No. Yeah, I don't either. Who would? But it's money, too. It's a million bucks to somebody. So it's a huge gesture of support from a critical community, you know? And, like, I I, I mean, when I was beginning to read books, like, if somebody had won the Nobel Prize, I would look at that person as a more serious author. You know, like, I was, that was, it was like an easy way in at the age of 15 to know, like, you know, why Faulkner was important or, you know, why these names that I had heard, like, had been recognized by an organization, a critical organization. Um, 
So uh, I don't know. I think it serves a really important fun. I mean, I'm a huge fan of, you know, what what is called the economy of prestige. What, there's a book about called that, um, and I'm blanking on who it's by, but the whole notion that, you know, awards and stuff like that are really important. Um, yeah. I totally believe that. So the winner in 2015 was Svetlana Alexeviich in literature. I don't know who that is. 2016 was Bob Dylan. 2017 was Kazuo Shiguro, who, of course, I know. 2018 was Olga Tkarczuk. Don't know who that is. 2019 was Peter Hanke. I don't know who that is. You guys know any of these people? Nope. No, but I don't pretend to know everybody. And, you know, there was a time when I was, like, 22, I tried to read. I read, like, random works from about 10 Nobel Prize winners. And it was fun. I discovered some really, really good books that way. But I'm just saying that it's, you know, it's we remember Bob Dylan because it was unusual. Right. And then the song comes along while we're all stuck at home. It's 19 minutes long. 17 minutes long. You keep adding minutes to it. <laughs> By the end of this podcast, the 45-minute song. It's it's longer if you take time to try to figure out who everyone is that he's talking about. Um, I don't know. I mean, I um, I think it's got to be hard to be Bob Dylan, to be perfectly yeah. honest with you. I mean, not to not to be like, oh, the tough life of, of Bob Dylan, but he is always being compared to himself yeah. over and over and over again for the rest of his life. Himself at his at his highest point. Um, and there's no winning with that. You know, there's no way to compare yourself to the, the point in time when you shifted culture, as Ryder was saying earlier. And so a song like this, where he's doing the thing that he uh, became most notable for early on, which is the sort of rat-a-tat style, the sort of um, beat style in a way, and applying it to, um, to modern music when it's been ripped off for 60 years also. Um, there's there's it's a no win situation for him it, it's either going to be praised as amazing or it's going to be uh trashed as as you know whatever this thing is like why do we need this thing the very thing we're doing right now in fact mm-hmm. um so you know you gotta you gotta give it up to him for not giving a fuck you know like, yeah bob dylan's just doing whatever bob dylan wants to do and, I, well, and that's I always res- been his thing to that. his credit yeah. yeah i mean that's you know he's often referred to as a trickster Todd. Oh my God! He is a, Say it again. A trickster. Say it again. Figure. Say it again. Say it again. Because there will be one day, Ryder, when I'm free, and when I'm free, I'm gonna get in my car if I can remember how to drive it, and I'm gonna show up to your house if I can remember where it is, and I'll I'm say, gonna storm the door. Todd, the gonna, trickster's here, and I'm gonna Todd beat your seventy-five-year-old ass. <laughs> Literary Disco is produced and edited by Justin Alvarez for Lit Hub Radio. You can reach out to us directly on Twitter at Literary Disco. Happy reading, everybody, and thanks for listening.